Well, hello, Bible Love listeners. So glad you are with us. If you remember, um, Alan and I have on the same clothes as we had on last week, if you're watching this on YouTube. And um, since we're in the book of Nehemiah, we will pray the same prayer we prayed last week, which is from the book of Nehemiah. So the Lord be with you. And also with you. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Amen. Amen. So we teased this last week, and so for the St. Martin's folks watching, you see a familiar face. We are joined today by uh, my good friend and former colleague, until she abandoned us for greener pastures, Ouch. Uh, the Reverend Paula Jefferson. She is priest in charge of St. Christopher Episcopal Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about St. Christopher's. They worship in a Lutheran church alongside Lutherans, and and it's a really interesting setup. Maybe we can get into that a little bit. Um, But Paula was the associate here when I started. We worked together a year. It's the best year of my tenure here at St. Martin's. And the only year. Well, yeah, so far. (laughs) We had a lot of fun, and I think we did a lot of good. Thank you, Paula, for joining us today. Of course. Yeah, and another Seminary of the Southwest graduate. I would be remiss. We don't need to mention that. Yeah, Josh, you're outnumbered today, Alan, with some wonderful Southwest graduates. So, so glad you're here, Paula. Thank you. Yeah. Um, You have a love for Nehemiah, I understand. I do. I love this text. Yeah, I about a year ago, I was invited to preach at a funeral, and the individual was a musician, and she had chosen from Nehemiah chapter 12 the company of eight of singers gathered together to participate in the final celebration as they walked back into Jerusalem. And I really didn't know much about Nehemiah prior to that, so I kind of got into his story to see what's this guy up to and who is he and how does he get called and um, kind of his passion for bringing Jerusalem back to life. Yeah. And so you, you got interested and you wanted to learn more. So how did that sermon go? Did that feel good? Yeah, it was awesome. Um, Yeah. We talked a little bit about how this individual had choreographed her funeral and um, down to every detail and, there's some, I love it when that happens. That makes yeah. it so much easier. <laughs> well, and it's kind of Nehemiah's story too. He right. choreographs this entire um, restructure of the of the walls, and he choreographs the day of celebration uh, from musicians to the instruments that they'll play, all of it. And it's it's kind of a great vision for uh, what he imagined it would be to bring the walls back to life. Just a, a quick, you know. Refresher. Last week we did one through seven. This is folks come back. They see piles of stones. Nehemiah sits down and weeps for days. Then he prays for months and then they get to work and it only takes 52 days because 
It's a lot less work when you spend more time praying and they're done. And that, you know, that was a cliffhanger last week. What are they going to do once they build this thing? And so now we're at the next piece. They walk in and you're right. Nehemiah had orchestrated this whole thing. It's a revival, essentially. And they open with reading scripture. They bring out the scrolls and they spend half a day reading Genesis through Deuteronomy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so Nehemiah is the governor and Ezra, who we actually just talked about, is actually present here. Right. He's the priest in this situation and the scribe. And they're they're making they're finally like together. Right. And making this community. Um, and so when you said that the parishioner or whoever it was that um, invited you to preach, I wonder, was that some of, it was a she, I think, um, some yeah. of her thinking, um, you know, is, is getting all these people together to celebrate her life. Do you think maybe that was part of it or? I think so. In fact, um, there were a lot of people from Coralie's background in music and churches she had sung throughout the United States who tuned in to us that day from San Francisco. Um, there were people who flew in during the end of COVID, flew in from New Jersey, and they had been choir directors with her over the years. That community of singers at St. Martin in the Fields was very tightly connected. And um, I think you hear that here, too, Jer- uh, Nehemiah tells us that the singers came from all over uh, Judah and they built their own homes outside of the wall and came together so that they could practice and be ready for this final day. So they had their own investment in what this day would be like. Yeah. You all had a day kind of like that um, in May too. Like I'm thinking about um, Alan's celebration of new ministry, you know, when you get to do things like that, um, someone asked me recently, what was the perfect, what was my perfect worship service? And my perfect worship service is when the people are there, when mistakes are made, when an acolyte puts wine on my shoes or I misspell or I mispronounce a gospel reading. But as long as we're together in community, that's the perfect worship service for me. You know, that's what they were kind of doing too, is like putting together just being together, figuring it out. What does worshiping God look like? Um, Especially here. I mean, they had been worshiping, and we've talked about this the last several weeks in Ezra and Nehemiah. What does church look like now that we're back in the building? It doesn't look like it did in February of 2020. And that's what this is the first time they're worshiping inside the walls of Jerusalem in a really long time. It's not going to look like it did way back when, but they're figuring it out and they're making it their own and you got to start somewhere. And here, you know, the orchestration, right? Like you've talked about my installation or anytime there's a funeral or any kind of special service like that, like the person gets to pick people to do the readings or to do things and you get to Mm -hmm. handpick. It's like an episode of this is your life essentially. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's nice when it's people who have that connection. And so I think about here, Ezra and Nehemiah serving together, all these names that are listed. Mm-hmm. The platform was built so that this guy could sit next to this person, next to this person. And I'm sure Nehemiah, like, you know, had a list like a good verger would and said, y'all are going to do these. 
And um, Paula's one of our best friends is one of my vergers, Phyllis, and she literally has a list of these are the people and this is what they're going to do. And anytime I don't know what I'm doing, I look at her and she can nod or shake her head because those people who like Nehemiah organize, organize and orchestrate things is the only way any of this gets done. Oh, Alan, you're so blessed to have Phyllis. Oh, my gosh. And Denise. We have two vergers. They're oh, awesome. my gosh. You're making like, me jealous. This everyone. is like the easiest place. Like I'm thinking about getting a supply priest and like angst about it. Uh-huh. This has to be like the easiest supply gig in the world because yeah. you just look at Phyllis or Denise and they're going to point you at whatever. Oh, you you're so lucky. Oh my gosh. Lucky, lucky, lucky. Um, Paula, tell us some other things about Nehemiah that you love. You yeah, talking- I was thinking about what Alan was just saying is um, how different things have been for us on the backside of COVID. Um, St. Christopher is also on the backside of litigation and lost its facilities. So, in worshiping in a space that doesn't really look like an Episcopal church inside because it's not. Um, it has really been about orchestrating a worship service that recaptures the feeling of, of what it feels like to be worshiping as an Episcopal person with our liturgy and with our music mm-hmm. and bringing back the things that, that speak to us, just carrying torches and, um, all those little things that really connect people with um, who we are and what we believe and give us an identity. Um, and Nehemiah seemed to have a real sense for that. I loved, I loved that when people tried to distract him from his mission, he, he just didn't give into that. He just didn't get distracted. He stayed on point and kept pressing on because he had a, a bigger ideal. Well, and you're kind of having to do that right now, too. I mean, you mentioned this just a little bit, but, you know, um, like reclaiming a space or making it feel, mm-hmm. you know, and you can't get distracted by a lot of other things. You've really got to charge right now um, yeah. to make ministry feel special for those that are healing and need it. You know, so Nehemiah is a great example for you right now and good for yeah. you in your ministry. I'm proud of you. That's hard work. Yeah, really it's good work. It's neat to watch the people, but I think maybe a little bit of what these people coming back to Jerusalem, having been in exile, might be feeling um, to be reconnected with their roots. Yeah, and it's not, we talk about this so much on the podcast, but like what's so comforting about so much that's in the Bible is when we're going through stuff, it ain't the first time it's happened, right? right. We've been in exile before. We've, we've <laughs> had to rebuild the temple before. We've had to do all those. Th- we've been in pandemics before, right? We've had to do all these things before. So, so often I feel such connection to when we're going through and on the, on the podcast and I'm talking about, it, I think I say it pretty much every time, like, oh my gosh, I feel so much better knowing they went through this too. And they know how this feels and they're good examples to me, you know? Mm -hmm. So you're, yeah, it makes me think Paula, when you were with us um, at St. Martin's part of your role was you were the priest in charge of of St. Mary's in Hillsborough. Right. And, and they're a people that they were displaced from their building. And so they worship in a bank. Right. They've had to con- literally consecrate uh, a bank lobby um, into a worship space. And it's it's very similar. And I think, you know, jumping ahead to the to the end of Nehemiah. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago is there's this this controversy over intermarriage. Right. And are you, 
are we still going to be Jewish? I mean, that's where the question comes down to. It's not only or necessarily the xenophobia or the fear of the other. I mean, part of it is the real true heartache over are we going to lose who we are? I think about worshiping in a Lutheran church alongside St. Matthew's, right? How do you maintain your Episcopal identity while also walking alongside your Lutheran siblings? How do you worship in a bank and maintain your Episcopal identity? And we've got a bunch of churches in, in the North region of Texas that, that are experiencing that. But I think it's natural for all of us after COVID in Texas or South Carolina, where like the cultural waters are Baptist or whatever. How do we maintain our identity in the midst of intermarriage of culture and church and denominations and all of that? I love that. Tough stuff, right? What are some of your other favorites, Paula, about Nehemiah? Oh, let's see here. I think there's a a place where he kind of gives us the notion that the the greater the vision, the greater the opposition will be. Mm. And, um, And maybe that's part of our backside of COVID theory of why is it so difficult to get people to come back to congregate and gather on the backside of that? There's so much more comfort level watching on television rather than coming and being a part. Yeah, I would imagine that the two of you and your congregations are having the same problem I am. Um, it's not a ton of people, but I've definitely got some that just haven't quite gotten over I'm not sure it's fear anymore. I'm not trying to call out anybody. I'm not sure, but I'm not sure it's fear anymore. COVID's here. We know how to deal with it. You know, that's my opinion. We're doing the best we can. Mm -hmm. I think it's what you said, like being in the comfort of our home, um, being out of tune of something we've done for a long time, putting ourselves out there, Mm -hmm. getting dressed, changing our Sunday routine to not just be drinking coffee and watching it anymore, you know? Um, but what I always want to say to people is like, I feel like you're missing so much, you know, one is being loved in person and not over a screen, you know? Um, and yeah, Nehemiah really did have to kind of show like, we got to get back at it. I mean, this is the perfect thing to talk about, right. As we're moving back in from COVID and mm-hmm. You know, because those same things have happened. Um, and there wasn't a plague. There was just a lot of fighting that made this happen. Right. Well, yeah. And it, it seems to me that when he's gone away, he goes back to the king for a while and comes back and discovers that they've put all this stuff that's happening on the Sabbath day. Um, you know, today's world, our soccer matches and all the stuff that's happening on Sunday that gets in the way of um, that one day of rest that that we would prefer to see was observed. But yeah, don't get me started on don't get me started on soccer on Sundays. That just <laughs> just one of many. <laughs> and yeah. I also, you know, in that one thing I think of kind of connected with all this is right, they they realize they look and they're like, you know, everyone actually lives outside the city walls and, and there's no one inside. And yeah. they they tithe people, right? They take one tenth of the population outside yeah. and bring them in to like help jumpstart this whole thing. And I think about mm-hmm. like if we tried to to tell people in our congregations, like you have to do this, right? Mm-hmm. It worked differently back then. Like we don't have that kind of authority. But I mean, that's how 
new churches get started often is. Mm -hmm. And so I think about, you know, spoiler alert for, for folks at St. Martin's diocese of Texas is going to want to plant some churches. If you keep going, if you walk out of my front door here at the church and keep going North, the most explosive growth in the entire country. Right there. Right here. Right. And so there's going to be a time pretty soon where a bishop might say, Hey, Alan, do you have five families? Yeah. You might want to start this. And Right. Maybe we'll draw lots or whatever. But like that's and that's tied into this idea of soccer on Sundays. This That's tied into now worship is about what we get out of it yeah. and how it fits into our lives rather than the community shaping rather than shaping our lives around the community. We 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 my son swims on Sundays. Right. Like I'm not throwing stones here. We now shape our community around our lives. And Nehemiah goes straight at that. He does. Why, why do we do that? Like, cause it does feel like, I don't know when I was growing up, like, I mean, church was just, I mean, I sound like an old person when I was growing up, you know, church was just what you did on Sunday, you know, and it, it is true. And like, um, Folks, your pastors are struggling because we want you there on Sunday morning and we're hitting all these oppositions and all these things. And, you know, how do we prioritize our lives to make this really what it is, which is a Sabbath day, you know? Um, and I don't know why it's changed um, so much since when I was a youngster, but it has, you know, and, and it makes me sad. And um, I feel like I'm fighting all those things, you know, um, to get them here. I hope I'm not the only one. I feel like I'm not. No. That's culture. You can now buy beer on Sunday mornings in Texas. Yes, you can. You can oh, wow. never do that before. I, I think I saw that. You used to not I be able to. You couldn't buy a car. You can't buy cars on Sundays. No. You couldn't. You you know all these things. Like it used to be in law. Part of it is right. Like maybe we need to to loosen the laws. But if it's the laws that keep us doing it, then that's a heart issue. Right. Like we don't actually need the government to say, don't play soccer. That needs to be us and kind of a rededication, a revival. That's what they do here. I mean, they start with scripture. They spend half a day reading the scripture. They have the longest prayer recorded in scripture. Right. Like they invest in the worship into this revival and it starts to change their hearts and minds. Um, yeah. And I start hurrying so, not to go over 12 minutes in my sermon. You know, yeah. you know so heads up, St. Martin's. I'm going to preach for four hours on Sunday and then we're going to read the whole Bible. <laughs> it's going to be a busy Sunday, isn't it? Hey, you're, busy. you're not going to get that nap on Sunday, are you? <laughs> yeah. We could have something to learn from Nehemiah, you know, oh, yeah. of that resistance of that, like really what is important. And I, I don't mean to come off judgmental in that. I just mean like, you know, it's not what the church can do for you. It's what you can do for God. You know, it is. And somehow we have gotten away from that. And I I do wish we could get back to it because glorifying God is the greatest gift in the world. Right. I can't think of anything better than glorifying God. Um, So, yeah. What's that longest prayer you were talking about? We weren't going to we're not going to pray it today, but I think it's worth pointing out. Yeah, it's uh, chapter nine, verse six. And Ezra said, and it goes through, um, like 37, okay. so, you know, 31 chapters. It's two whole pages spread in my mm-hmm. book. 
Um, he thinks of everything in the world to pray for in those 31. <laughs> apparently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you can, you can say nothing if Nehemiah didn't love to build a wall and pray some prayers and maybe cry a little bit and try to join his people together. You know, um, I, am I remiss in saying, am I wrong in saying that of all the books that we've done, I don't remember a time when a person is in the book that we've already talked about before. Like, does this make sense? I'm talking about Ezra being like a, a character in Nehemiah's book, but we've already gone past it. Usually they've died by the time. Yeah. We've Is that making sense? What I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I, I think we ran into like Saul and David. Okay. Um, maybe a few, but they I, show up, but, but I mean, they're patriarchs, right? Like yeah. they're, they're people that do come up. Ezra and Nehemiah are kind of bit players in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. No, um, Ezra or Nehemiah. No, it's not Moses pops up in the Bible quite often, but Ezra and Nehemiah aren't that level. But but it, it goes to show, number one, Ezra and Nehemiah, like we said some other times, they used to be one book, right? And so the story flows from one to another, and we make arbitrary decisions of where we cut things off. Mm-hmm. Like these are real people that have real interactions. This isn't Nehemiah who's sitting there dictating what God's saying, right? Nehemiah is recording what's happening around him and, and he's dealing with his buddy Ezra and it comes up different times. Yeah. It's neat. It's his memoir. Yeah. Well, and one of the um, commentaries I, I like to read, this was how to read the Bible book by book by Gordon Fee. Um, it, it, at the very end, it says Ezra and Nehemiah advanced the biblical story by describing how the necessary reforms in Jews, Jerusalem were set in motion, which were later to serve as the basis for the Judaism of which Jesus and the early church emerged. So that gives a lot of like pretty high emphasis to Ezra and Nehemiah and their reforms in Judaism right? That set up what we're going to know is Jesus and what we're going to know is the church. A lot of what we do today comes from the kind of leadership they had is what I'm reading. That's what Gordon Fee thinks at least. Yeah. And Nehemiah doesn't come from the priestly clans, but Ezra does. So they have an interesting partnership of the church early on. Talk about that. I like that. I even thought about that. Yeah, he's very much a lay person who's called and leaves behind a really cush job with the king and and turns his life around to actually kind of push the reforms. Um, Ezra is there to read and he's doing his his priestly things, but it's kind of Nehemiah who's pushing the boat here. It's like a really strong senior warden. Yeah, on steroids. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I'm so glad you brought that up because I think because. You know, we always like to, it feels like there's always a lot of like playtime given to the priest and the kings and that, you know, but here's just this fantastic layperson who really makes some stuff happen. Um, and we as priests are always like, where are our lay people? We need them. We need them. And, and they do. We were talking about it, the vergers a minute ago, like life would not happen without your vergers, you know, and how important, um, as we talk about in the hierarchy, layperson first, right? And bishops, priests, and deacons. Um, so, yay. Thank you for making that point. What else do we need to know about Nehemiah and Ezra? 
I've learned a lot. I, I just didn't know a lot about them. Um, and I guess it plays into the lectionary and these small little chapters or books of the Bible. Yeah, I looked up Nehemiah chapter three, I think, shows up in Epiphany in year C. That's the only bit from Ezra and Nehemiah that shows up on Sunday mornings. Really? Okay. Okay. That's interesting. And then when you have someone ask you to preach their their funeral sermon. Yeah. We just had um, Jeremiah. We're doing track one at St. Christopher. And we had a reading from Jeremiah where the first two oracles God asked him to speak are written. But the third oracle is that the walls of Jerusalem will be rebuilt. So this project is is given ahead of time, but it's 140 years down the road before Nehemiah exists and is doing it. But they still the connection is there. It's all mm-hmm. there. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've talked about that a bunch. Like God's work takes time. Mm-hmm. And I'm as impatient as anybody. And so it's really frustrating. Yeah. Different timetable. Yeah. Paula, thank you so much and for your time. I'm so, the time goes fast, doesn't it? Um, I'm so grateful um, for the work you're doing at St. Christopher's. I'm so grateful for the ministry you and Alan had together um, and that you continue to do. Thanks for taking care of our guy in Texas. We miss him here in South Carolina, but glad he's, he's doing great as you both are. And remember, listeners, we love you, but most importantly, God does.